Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is going to get very, very personal. Yep, that's right. Stay tuned because I've got Andrew Page. I'm Scott Phillips. We're going to, well, stay tuned. We're going to get personal. Ram, how are you, buddy? I'm very good, sir. I'm very good. Uh, yourself? I'm exceptionally well, thank you, sir. Speaking of getting personal, straw man seems like a personal. Are you the straw man? I, it actually is the avatar name that I use. <laughs> does make it a bit confusing, but uh, yeah, there are, we've, we've got we've got a lot of straw people. I'll, I'll a lot of straw way. people, straw persons. Yeah. I like it. What is what is straw man again? We're we're an online investment club. <laughs> you are indeed, <laughs> as you well know, and you can uh, find it at strawman.com, as I recall. You can indeed. Yeah, go check it out. Very good. Andrew is the founder and managing director of Strawman at strawman.com. He's also a fellow fool and a good mate. Uh, Andrew was uh, one of the Motley Fool team for a while before he went off to start Strawman to help out his members and investors uh, help share some insights amongst themselves. At the Motley Fool, we still give you insights and have discussion boards as well. But these are two of the very, very, very best investing properties in Australia, in my humble and entirely biased opinion. No but bias I, at all. But I, yeah. but I dare you to find something with better value, <laughs> with more integrity and with, uh, well, more, um, let's say, investor friendliness. Let's put, let's put it euphemistically and nice say plug. that I am absolutely convinced uh, that The Motley Fool and Strawman are literally two of the very best places for investors to learn their craft, get some ideas and to hopefully build some wealth together. Mate, um, let's, well, let's go get personal just yet. Let's hold out that carrot for just a little bit longer. Let's instead... Uh, talk very quickly about the macro. Uh, we're not going to spend too much time on this. We do it most weeks. Um, rates on hold this week. Uh, Governor Lowe saying, well, not yet, but also then in a speech subsequently saying, but it still could be this year. Um, it's funny the way the headlines go, mate. Before the before the meeting, it was all about, oh, they're obviously going to put rates up sometime this year. And then after the minutes of the meeting came out, it was like, oh, no, 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 we, we're not, we can all cool our jets. And then Governor Lowe says, well, it's possible it could be this year. Seems to me like it's business as usual. Everybody trying to guess, no one really knowing, but I'm still thinking this year. You? I am. Um, I, I think it's, it just gets to a point where the where their hand is forced. Um, I know. I, I noticed so. that the market itself is pricing in um, yeah. around four hikes over the coming year or so. Yeah. Now the market's not always right. In fact, it's it's often wrong. <laughs> yes. In fact, in fact, most forecasts in this field are, are often wrong. Yeah, but, that's right. You know, I, I also think it's that hyper specificity as mm. well. Like mm. we we could you could have two of the smartest economists in the world argue exactly yeah. when and by how much, <laughs> and they'll both make really convincing points. So I I sort yeah. of take a more pragmatic stance and say yeah. like, I, I don't know exactly, but as a long-term investor, it's probably prudent of me to expect that at some stage in the future, you know, thing, the cost of money will probably be higher than where it is now. Let's face it, it can't get much lower. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, and I, and I've said to you a million times, I just I just yeah. don't want to be dependent on that view of, yeah. oh, it will always be low forever. Um, it might be, in which case, great, I'll, I'll probably do well. But it probably mm. won't because, you know, the economy tends to move in cycles. Interest rate tends to move in cycles. And I just want to account for that that possibility, not not in a hyper specific way, but I just you know when I'm when I'm buying things, I I think it's as I say prudent to assume some of that at some point over your investing journey, and and when you factor that in, it just it just helps helps you avoid making a few silly decisions or being yeah, too dependent on a perfect per, perfect environment, which you know generally you don't you don't have, and if you do have, it doesn't last for long. I think that's right. I think you know, my, my favourite quote in this area, oh, it's a line, it's an aphorism, is prepare, don't predict. Yeah. And I just kind of like the idea of just, you know, you don't have to know for sure. And frankly, if your investing case is reliant on being right about that stuff, you really are playing with a degree of difficulty that you frankly shouldn't be. You know, that's, you know, angels fear to tread stuff. Like even the so-called experts get this stuff wrong. Um, trying, to, trying to tune your portfolio so keenly for some predicted future event I think it's asking for trouble because you'd be right yeah. sometimes and you make some money. You'd be wrong other times and lose a fortune. I'm reminded of one of Warren Buffett's acolytes who had a 50-odd year spectacular investing career and then decided that, of course, the US banks were never going to go broke during the GFC and lost pretty much most, if not well, 
almost all of the money of the fund and went out of business. Yeah. And this guy had a 50-year track record of market-beating performance yeah. and had to make this massive bet on what he was sure was going to happen. And it literally destroyed half a century of outperformance, a career, a reputation, all that kind of stuff. You don't even have to care about your career and reputation. Just mm. don't put your money at that sort of risk where you have to be right to, you know, so right, so incredibly specifically right. Hyper-specificity, as you said. Yeah. It's a very Kieran Rudd of you, mate. It's not programmatic specificity, but it's not fast, <laughs> so I like it. Um, it it's, it's a really good point. It's a really good point. Um, speaking of speaking of the last couple of days, uh, February, thank goodness, finally off to a decent start. It's funny, I, you've said this lots of times, it's funny how we think about calendars, right? So we kind of lock off January and say, well, it started on this arbitrary point in our journey around the sun and finished 31, you know, rotations later. Uh, and so therefore it was the 31st of January. We say that's what happened in January. And then a couple of days in February, we say, oh, look, now it's February, so it's all different. Um, if, the, if the month was 33 days long, we'd be saying, oh, we're still down for the month. Uh, now we get to put that behind us, start with a clean slate and feel pretty good about that. It's a, it's a nice thing to be able to do sometimes, isn't it? It is. It is. You're going to say aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> you, you mentioned that as oh February's been good, so I was like, oh, has it? And then I was like, well, it's it's you know it's only a few days in. I mean, it's just, I, I'm, I, I'm taking the wins I can get, mate. I'm taking the wins I can get. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's nice to sort of stop the mm. bloodletting there for for a yeah. little bit, but you know, it's you know, it's interesting. We we had um, I won't mention the name, but we had a CEO from a small cap company come along right. and give our members a talk recently, mm-hmm. just outlining what the business has done, what it's expecting to do, etc. So afterwards, I just sent, sent him an email saying, thanks for coming along. And he said, oh, yeah, great, happy to. Hey, by the way, I'm interested in your opinion. What do you think we're doing wrong? And I <laughs> sort of said, well, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, I think the business is doing great. And he said, yeah, but the share price is, is down. How do we sort of fix mm. that? <laughs> and my advice was, well, you know, unfortunately, you, you do, even the CEO, they had very little control over yep. this. It's determined by the market. My yep. advice, very humbly submitted, was just keep doing what you're doing. The market mm. can mm. ignore... It can, it can get ahead of itself uh, and then it can get impatient and then it can ignore <laughs> things for a long time. I, I actually gave him the example of zero. So zero, if you remember way back in the day, going mm-hmm. back I do. almost 10 years or so now, it yeah. went from four bucks to $40 because yeah. people saw this wonderful SaaS business, huge opportunity, growing really rapidly. Yeah. And that was all true. Um, and in fact, with hindsight, we can see that it was actually really true That's and it right. continued to be really true. That's right. But then you'll remember from 2014 to 2015, the share price went from 40 bucks down to, well, actually down to about, I want to say 10 bucks at one stage. I got $12.30 here as the cheapest I can find on a weekly weekly chart. Right. Yeah, close enough. To, you know what? I can tell you it wasn't 10. You know why I can tell you? Because yeah. my team will buy it when it goes to 10. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that and old chestnut. Bloody thing. Anyway, but here's the, here's the thing, right? Not only did it suffer a more than... 50% fall. Yeah. It actually it actually took until like late 2017 to get yes. back above those levels. Yes, it did. And now and you know and now it's sort of like uh 5x what yeah. what it was when it was um below 20 bucks type yeah, thing. Yeah. More in yeah. fact. And it's, it's quite, kind it's of actually at the moment it's literally more than tenfold. So if the, if the bottom was about twelve dollars thirty, give or take, well, almost almost tenfold, one hundred and fifteen dollars today. So right. close enough. What was it eight and a half fold or nine fold? Very 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 close. Now, if you'd looked at if, if that if the shares had traded at a consistent price to sales ratio, I have to mm-hmm. say sales because there wasn't earnings in the early days. But if it was always on, like the you would have seen the price very steadily just sort of jump up mm-hmm. each each time the company reported. But of course it didn't, and so things just ran ahead for a lot of good reasons. I mean, all the bull case, the people buying zero shares at 40 bucks actually proven to be 100% right. Like yeah. it, we can say with hindsight, it was actually great value. Mm. But then you know, the market just lost interest, very impatient, you know, and then it just, and it sat there for what, it's easy to sort of look back on a chart and go, oh, it's a sort of pulled back and now it's sort of up. But that, the, the brutal reality of living through that two, three year period of a huge loss was mm. just, was just, devastating and I'm sure management there as well were going geez what are we doing wrong and, and the, the truth is nothing you, all you yeah, can exactly, and, uh, so exactly. I, I sort of said to him like just keep doing what you're doing if mm-hmm. you continue to post really good top line growth and you continue to manage your capital effectively I don't know when or how mm-hmm. but at some point the market can't ignore that and and and, and it, it, it will it'll probably overreact on the upside people will get excited again it'll fly <laughs> up 
to something that's probably more sensible and then continue to go up. It just, mm-hmm. it just is what it is. It, it's, we talk about it all the time. It, it makes a lot of sense, but the, the reality of living through that and experiencing all of that is just very, very tough. Even for people on the inside of these businesses mm-hmm. who know them extremely well and they're just sort of scratching their head going, what are we doing wrong? <laughs> like, right. you're, not, you're not doing anything. The market was doing something mm-hmm. wrong and perhaps mm-hmm. getting uh, 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 overexcited and then overly pessimistic. And But it's always going to kind of do that, yeah. you know? So, yeah, I, 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 I think that, uh, yep, isn't it great that it's up for the first few days of February? <laughs> but, you know, I'm more interested, I'm more interested in what, what the next sort of five, ten years look like. It's funny, mate. So if you if you kind of, you know, looking through – so just to speak to zero, right? If, if you look to the numbers, I'm just, I'm just – like I just Googled the share price. Uh, their five-day share price up 5%. Mm. Over a month, mm. down 21%. Uh, over one year, down 11%. Over five years, up 529%. Yeah. And all time, up 2,381.08%. And they say, we have, they say we have an efficient market. <laughs> oh, can I tell you? So, I, I, okay, you, you've invited me to rant about that, so I'm absolutely going to. Um, <laughs> I own some US shares. Uh, among them are Shopify and Mercado Libre. Shopify is kind of an e-commerce website designer business. Um, a, a, probably stupidly highly valued on any reasonable valuation metric. These do a lot to justify it. Mercado Libre is the Latin American version of Amazon and eBay squashed together. So mm-hmm. e-commerce platform plus a plus a kind of PayPal-y style thing. Oh, not eBay, there's just PayPal, it's just Amazon and, e- and PayPal. I own both those businesses for the record while we're going. Um, and the share price of Shopify was down 10% at some point last week. It was up 10%. I think it was Friday night our time. And it, I've just looked. Oh, we're recording this on Thursday morning as we always do. Wednesday night, shares were again down 10%. Now, if you think about what a share price is, right? A share price is the rep- the representation of all of the cash flows for any business from now till eternity. Mm. And it might take forever for those cash flows to start and the market are always efficient. Even, even growth investors, even hyper growth investors are implicitly saying, I think this is worth this much because it's going to deliver this much profit in future. So it's all, even if you're not a DCF kind of deep value person, the concept must be true by definition unless you're a pure speculator, which is just, I think somebody that's going to pay me more next week, which is possible. Mm. But for the rest of us, and so to, to imagine that in the space of six and a half trading hours in the US, the future value of Shopify profits or Mercado Libre, probably Shopify because it was the biggest faller and gainer, uh, fell by 10%. Think about the, every every dollar of profit from now till forever, mm. the market's saying, well, yesterday I thought it was X. Now I think it's going to be 10% less than that. And then a day later, oh, no, 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 I was wrong. No, it's going to be back to X again. And then overnight last night our time, oh, no, no, it's going to be 10% lower again. And you think about just the sheer reality of that, the dollar value of market cap wiped on and off these businesses, the the implication of what the what the future means in terms of the value of that. And this is not just long-term you know, tech declines that we've seen over the last three or six months. This is one night where the market one day says, hey, it's great. Next day says, oh, no, it's terrible. Next day, oh, it's great again. And it's just, if, if you are, I want to be, I want to be really, I want to put this nicely because I, I have a tendency to rant and, and whatever, but... I just want to, I want to remind every single listener, if you are literally looking at the market and trying to let it tell you what something's worth and you see it do that and you still after that go, but I'm still going to tell it, let it tell me what it's worth. I just, I, I can't tell you how frustrated that makes me. I don't care what the market does really. I mean, it's stupid. It's not efficient as you said, but what annoys me is people then get sucked into believing the market must know better than they do. Mm. And that's the hardest part of investing, Rose, watching your share prices rise and fall. We're about to talk about that. So it's a nice seg. Um, into that idea of, hey, you know, we've got the, the you know, the market saying it's 10% more. Now it's 10% less. Now it's 10% more. Those numbers are just impossible to be true, right? Short of something that dramatically t- damages the business, and it's possible, right? You can't have some businesses say, actually, this big initiative that was half our business, we're gonna, we've are gonna we been sued and we've got to shut it down. So yeah, you can lose half your value in, for reasons. When it's just pure volatility, that kind of crap, you go, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably going to stop listening at some point because really the market has nothing, nothing to tell me, particularly over the short term. <laughs> It's, it's an amazing feat of cognitive dissonance <laughs> in the sense that when we buy shares, we're convinced that, oh. you know, the market's wrong, we're right, these yep. things are cheap, I'm going to buy yep. them. Yep. And then it goes down and then we assume that all of a sudden it's it's right and we're wrong. Like you, mm-hmm. you can't have it both. You, that, that's the, the, the tricky thing with all of this, yeah, as you right. rightly say, <laughs> is is that you, yep. you, ha- you have – 
if, if the market is perfectly efficient, the answer is buy an ETF and don't do anything because it's impossible yeah, right. to outperform and just, right, right. just get the average, right? Because that's the best that anyone can kind of hope for. If right. you are a stock picker and someone who buys directly, I mean, it, it doesn't gel. You implicitly mm. have to assume that the market is going to be doing, not all the time, but yeah. for long periods of time um, and to extreme degrees can can be really wrong. And it, Enough companies are going to be badly priced often enough to allow us to beat the market, that by yes. definition, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, and and you, and you've you've just you've 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 got to stick to your guns. I mean, it's really easy to say. Before we went on air, I was sort of saying, "Oh man, you're kind of you, you're convinced of your own genius when things are going <laughs> up, and the second second it goes down, it's sort right. of like, oh, the doubt creeps in, and it's perfectly normal, and no one's immune yeah. to all of that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. But it is, it is about sort of keeping keeping your eyes on the prize and just understanding just the, the massive role that sentiment plays in this. So um, I read a book recently called Narrative Economics. It's from Robert Schiller, who a lot of listeners- Oh, I'm so overdue to read that. It's Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not about stocks per se. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. goes from everything from Bitcoin to the economy to everything, but it's this idea that- you know, these are all stories. Well, at the end of the day, what we're all trying to do is predict the future and predicting the future is is very hard. Um, what's that Yogi Berra quote? Remind me again. <laughs> uh, uh, predictions are hard, especially about the future. That's that's the one. And and yep. and so so is what happens, these narratives move around, and, you know, and so it's like take, let's go back to zero, right? So mm. there was this really strong narrative that everything was moving from these um, uh, locally-based software products that you'd, you know, install on a disk to this cloud-based mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, that's right. You know, and it was, it was everyone in the world has you know has a need for this kind of stuff and this company's going very strongly and it's meant to be the best and you know it's having a lot of success and traction in some of these big offshore markets and and that was the narrative that dominated mm-hmm. and it just it just went and went went and went for all the way up to 40 bucks and then the narrative became oh they're bleeding through too much cash actually there is more competition and then that narrative sort of took over but it's this idea that these stories fight for each other and 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 and, and sway investor sentiment now there's only one true future that's out there yeah, but you're right. going you're going to be you're going to be confronted with all of these different narratives that are all that's pretty right. compelling and that's so so you've got to come back to what's your narrative how mm. confident are you in that how objective can you be in that and mm-hmm. and and just stick with that one because the market is going to change its mind a lot and it's going to go from yeah, right yeah, to yeah. wrong from right yeah. to wrong if, or, if you're or, wrong to wrong, right? So it's going to be overvalued, undervalued, overvalued, undervalued in, in short periods of time, particularly on companies that are harder to understand. Yeah. Maybe it's going to be wrong more than right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's just it's just a matter of – which, again, I'll come back to the, the, that, that story of the CEO. It's just like just mm. keep getting it done. That is all you can do as the CEO of the company and mm. it's all you can do as, as the investor is keep your eyes – on the thing that matters. We've talked before about the analogy of the, the man walking a dog on a long leash yeah, from okay. Central Station down to Circular Quay and the dog just darts off up and down every alley and around every lamppost. And, mm-hmm. But you know that eventually that dog is going to make it to Circular Quay because mm-hmm. the man's walking that way, nice and steadily at an even pace. Um, but we all watch <laughs> the dog and we try and work out where he's headed based on where he's zigging <laughs> and saying, no one's watching the man, i.e. the business yeah, and what the yeah, business is yeah. doing. And if, if, if you can keep focused on that, uh, well, that, it's just a massive edge. It, it's, it's not just a matter of being focused on that. It's actually having the patience to stick with it. Because as I said, it's easy to – we, we could draw up a million examples right now. <laughs> but as I, the reality of when you're looking, logging into your account and you're seeing, oh, I'm down 20%. What have I got wrong? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. And then it's all good and well to say, oh, it's okay. It's just a bit of a dip, volatility, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine – 14, 18 months later, you're still there. And it's like, oh, you know, at what point do yeah. you that that's yeah. just it's so super, super, super hard. Mm. But but therein therein lies the challenge. Yeah. It's it's worth thinking. I just want to pick up that last point, mate, because if you're a newish investor, and I say newish probably post GFC, you've been through the COVID crash and that was really painful, but it was actually really short. It was a really and abnormal I, crash. Yeah, and I just I just think it's worth mentioning that the GFC was this grinding, horrible. Was it eighteen months or so long? Just, just mm. almost you know, not day, not daily falls because occasionally you get a, a recovery. But this idea of like just over that time, imagine every single day the markets saying, "Hey, Scott, you're an idiot. You're wrong again. Yeah, but shares are worth less. Now they're worth even less. Mm. Now they're worth even less. They're worth a bit more. Now they're worth even less. Mm. Literally, almost daily for that full 12, 18 month period. And and just think about the emotional toll that takes, the the intellectual, uh, I don't know what you call it, fortitude, I suppose, to actually stick it out. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't say that to scare people, although I kind of want to scare you a little bit because I want you to have thought, that, you know, the best, the best way to go through something like this is to know it's coming, 
to have thought about it in advance and to have understood how you're going to deal with it when you feel like you want to give up. Mm. And I was saying to you again before we started, we'll get on this in a sec, but um, I was saying that, you know, it doesn't make it, it doesn't make crashes feel any better. We've done this for years. It doesn't make crashes feel any better. Mm. We've just have intellectually worked out that we can't let ourselves give in to the misery and fear and pain, right? That, that's that's the only difference. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily feel any better. Some people are just you know psychopaths and don't feel the pain at all. And good luck to you if that's you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, it just, it, losing money it feels still feels terrible. The yeah. the answer is you know if you if you've thought this through. If you believe strongly in the future of your businesses, and by the way, if you believe that the history of the market has something to tell us about the future, and I do, you can't extrapolate, but um, I think that the reality of, of capitalism and, and markets is that over more than a century, what is it, 120, 30, 40 years, um, that things have always got better eventually over time. And mm-hmm. if you can hold on to that and hold on to the quality of the businesses you own and you can't really ignore the market. You can't ignore hearing it, but you could choose how to respond. And I just want anyone listening now to think, okay, what am I going to do when my portfolio just grinds lower for a whole year or a year and a half? Am I really ready intellectually, emotionally, financially for that? Because you should be, because it's going to happen. And by the way, remember since the GFC, the markets have gone much, much, much higher. So also be mindful that you know you don't want to be giving up at that point because that's exactly the very worst thing to do. Even when you do the right thing, it feels like the wrong thing for a while. So, mm. the, so not only is again the, the big caveat here is that you're holding decent companies. Like some yeah. some yes, companies will totally never totally. recover. So yeah, let's, that's let's, right. Let's, let's, we hold anything and wait. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've you've still got to have a, something that actually has value. There. There's a real thing <laughs> underneath, and it's not not something that's entirely hype. Enron shares aren't coming back, baby. <laughs> you know the, the HAH is you're never getting your money back on on that kind of stuff. Right. But exactly. but so so okay, you do the right mm. thing. Okay, mm. these are decent company, I'm going to continue to hold. And then you do the other right thing, which is if, if possible, mm. if you've got a bit of dry powder or you're, you're continuing yep. to earn an income, yes, you buy more. And this is my experience in the GFC and in the COVID crash. In fact, every kind of correction and pullback we've had, mm. you, you mm. do the right thing, quote unquote, where you you hold and then I buy more. Mm. And then it and it's not as if at that point, you know, you go, oh, then it goes up and, oh, what a wonderful opportunity it was. And it actually then right. continues to go forward. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, now, I've, yeah. now, I've, now I've like pulled the trigger too early and uh-huh. now it's just, now I've got no choice but to do it. And it just, it feels horrible because it, it just, it lasts for so, 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 so long. Yeah. And yeah. then the only regret that you have, I mentioned yeah. this on Twitter actually just the other day, is is that it, it's, it's not that I bought or I missed the bottom, it's that I just didn't yeah. buy enough. You know, yeah, exactly. you, n- none of us act in the way that we think we yep. are. And we think we feel as though to do well, what you do is you see a correction, mm-hmm. you buy at the bottom and then it's all, it's all, it's all wonderful. But no one, no one ever picks the bottom, right? You see, yeah. you, you can miss the, in the GFC, you could have missed the bottom 30% and still mm-hmm. in got incredible uh, uh, bargains and great value. So it's, yep. it's sort of, it's tough. I don't know what I'm saying. It's just, it's just that it's, it's really, really, really hard. There's this thing called the share market, and there's thousands <laughs> of different participants, and we all, we're all sort of interacting with it. But there's, mm. at the same time, there's like a hundred different games being played. There's momentum traders. There's day traders in there. There's technical analysts. There's long-term value investors. There's income-oriented investors. There's you know, etc., etc., etc. There's so, there's. There's this thing called the market and investing, but there's mm. different games that you can play. And if you feel as though you've, you're cut out for some of these more speculative games, good luck mm. to you. I would urge you not to. But but that's that's not the game I, I think either of us are playing. It's 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 not. And this is what I've always find hard to explain to to certain friends of mine is that I'm not trying to sort of mm. pick highs and lows and et cetera, et cetera. It's just it sounds too simplistic to be smart. But mm. it's just like decent companies at good value held for the long term. And it just means when you when you play that game, I think you've got yep. really good odds of winning longer term. Yep. It's just that that game also makes you look really dumb for long periods <laughs> of time along the way. And, uh, you know, but but it, but, but it, it is it is the far more sensible game to play. It's, it's like you and I trying to guess what the temperature is going to be like <laughs> three Thursdays from today. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do you know? And yeah, uh, it yeah. could be raining and miserable yeah. and cold or it could be, you know, one of the hottest days on, on record. Yes, yes. You know, but a sensible person will probably say, "Well, look, at that time of year, the average temperature is usually around that," and I'm right, going to base right. it on that. It's, it's, it doesn't mean you're going to be right; you could well be wrong. But generally, it's a it's a pretty sensible approach. And so, it's the same kind of thing with a business. It's like I have no idea exactly what mood Mister Market's going to be in, in mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. April of 2025 or, or whatever. Yep. But I do know that if this this business, which is rock solid, managing to sell more and more each year, improve its margins, capture new market share, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, 
it's probably likely to be uh, more profitable and therefore worth more at that point in time. I don't know to what exact degree. I don't know what things will do between that point and this point, but it's more it's more the beginning and the end that matters, less less so than the journey. Um, and it's just it's just diabolically hard. Yeah, it is. I, speaking of weather, mate, it was so two days ago at my place it was thirty degrees. Yesterday it was thirteen. Literally a day apart, right. and so you know, was it was it the middle of summer? Then was it late autumn? No, it was literally a day apart. And if you're if you're tracking plotting the daily temperatures, you're saying, yep. oh, summer's here, oh, summer's over, and and again, as you say, it's the man walking the dog versus the average, or the or the usual, or the expected, or when they're outliers, they're outliers, right? They don't tell you what season it is; it just tells you what the, the weather is on that day. You said before the the weather versus climate thing, and I think that's right. Yeah, makes up. Yeah, I, I, I just okay. I was going to say one more thing that you can do mm. here as well is that here's another bit of cognitive dissonance for you. So you <laughs> need to have this long term kind of mindset, and you need to be able to sort of sit through all of this stuff. The other side of it is you do have to have a you, you do have to have a willingness to admit that the narrative that you're hanging on to is wrong because it actually will be a lot of time and not not because it was a stupid idea to begin with it's just that the future is unfolding in a way where it's becoming less and less likely yeah. and that's absolutely at a point where you do the, the absolutely wrong thing to do is just to keep holding and to buy more and to be patient because sometimes things just break <laughs> really badly <laughs> or just don't open and, and you, so so it's i think where misunderstandings creep in with this kind of thinking is that it's just like well, I just never sell. I just always buy more. Oh, now it's half the price. I'll buy more again. Oh, now it's down seventy percent. I'll buy. You, you, you. you yep. It comes back to that always. We, we say it all the time. You know, strong, strong opinions weakly held. Yes. So you know, when, whenever the opinion is 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 uh, you feel as though is is correct, keep doing the right thing. If that changes and it changes for the good reasons, not because the share price is down, but because the business is is you know just not delivering as, as to uh, expectations. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Get the hell out and put it somewhere else. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, we, we said, I said at the beginning we'd make this personal and, and let's do that a little bit because we are very good at giving advice and I think our advice is actually very good and hopefully it's based in rational reality, experience, education and, and frankly the old good old school of hard knocks. Evidence-based so is, is a nice phrase. Though. That's what we like to pretend. Exactly, let's yeah. go with that. So, And I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. But when we were talking about this sort of stuff before we started recording, we, we started talking about sharing some of our own experiences. And I think that's useful because, you know, there's a, there's one thing that when you, you know, tell someone what to do, it's like, okay, well, I, I hear the academic reality. But I want to share the stories behind that because, I see, you know, we were talking about, you sort of said, how are you? And I said, well, it's great that February's off to a good start. And then we talked about the fact that January was tough and over the long term, it's been a while. Um, I will disclose mine. You'd have to disclose yours, but I'll disclose mine. I, I reckon on the back of an envelope, I've lost about 18% of my portfolio value from peak to trough recently. So whenever the peak was, sometime late last year, maybe November, December, something, I don't really know. I don't care to pay that much attention, by the way, but I know roughly where my portfolio peaked. And I know roughly where it finished, and it was down about 18%. And, you know, and I said to you that when it comes to that, I absolutely intellectually get what I have to do, and I will do it, and I have done it. I am, I've done this long enough, and I've trained myself well enough, and I don't say that for um, uh, to give myself a rap, but I, I want people to know it's possible and doable, and if you spend time and effort, you can do it. So I've trained myself not to do anything wrong. You know, I didn't sell anything. I'm not selling anything. I've been adding regularly. I've been dollar-cost averaging when my savings go into the account once or twice a month. Um, you know, I'm doing that work that I should be doing. I'm gritting my teeth, and I'm just getting through it. But that 80% fall is in real dollars, right? And... Mm. And those dollars suck. They mm. really suck. You know, I, I had X <laughs> sure dollars does. in my account. Yeah. Now I've got X less close off to 20%. So I've lost a fifth of my money. And that's money that, you know, I, I had taken for granted. I put in the mental bank. I said, right, I got this much money. Great. Now I've got that much less than what I used to have. Oh man, that sucks badly because, you know, and I, and I said, you know, I, I do the mental, you know, the rule of 72 for those who don't know is you can work, if you get an average return, how many years it'll take you to double your money. And I always mentally just assume 10% just for the fun of it. So I go, okay, well, that means my money can double every about seven years. So late last year, I was going, right, it's 2021. I've got this much money. If I double it and double it and double it again over the next 21 years, okay, easy, right, double that. Okay, cool. And now I know how much I might have somewhere close to retirement age. I don't imagine I'll actually ever retire properly, but you know. And, and so that's, I've, I've mentally gone, great. Okay, now I know how much money I should expect to have. I can then add in my own savings and work that out. I do that sometimes. But whatever, you know, when you then lose 20%, you do that math, it's like, oh man, that mm. really, not only does it suck to lose the money I'm going to have now, but if I compound that in my head, that's so much less because the gap then gets doubled and doubled and doubled again. Yep. And so, you know, it's, 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 it's not real money. It's, it's, you know, extrapolated money. 
but that really hurts and I, and it makes me grumpy and it makes me sad and I, you know I, so I, what the reason I want to share that mate is because I think I've done a pretty good job I think you've done a pretty good job of making sure we know how to act but it doesn't necessarily in my case it does a bit I'm sure uh, I'm less freaked out about it, less worried about it but it's still really painful and it still really sucks and I still worry how far it's going to fall how long it's going to take to recover every time I look at my portfolio I see the money that's missing in air quotes and it just hurts. And so I, I mm. want to share that because I don't want our listeners to think, well, it's all right for those guys. They are somehow wired differently. They are, you know, they've got so much experience. They can get through it. I can't get through it. And I just wanted to share that the feelings may not be as severe as they would have been 20 years ago for me. I'm sure I've been able to moderate that by experience and knowledge and expertise and all that kind of stuff. But it just, it's, I just want people to know that it's not, you don't, don't wait for the time when it's not going to suck and you're not going to worry and it's not going to be painful. Wait for the time, work for the time when you're just going to be able to do a much better job of being able to contextualize it and do what you should do anyway. Yes, it sucks, but I'm pushing on. Yeah, the 10% annual thing is dangerous. In, well, yeah, it is. It's, it's, really, it's a really good um, heuristic mm. for long-term investors to use. Like, okay, so I'm going to invest in the market long-term. Historically, I know that with dividends, it's probably around that figure. Some people will say nine, some people will say whatever. It's around about that. And so if you're trying to sort of plan – um, things out and sort of set a benchmark for yourself. 10% is a really great number to sort of use. The reality is though, it just doesn't move up in a straight, even line. So, so you can go to strawman.com forward slash strawman and you'll see my profile mm, there. Mm. Even you don't have to be a member or anything like that, but you'll see that like you, it's actually down about 16% now. I look at it and the, sort of the last, as you say, February has been a, t- pulled it away from some of the lows, but it's down yeah, 16% the last three months, but I've still got more money than I had a year ago. And since I started that portfolio back in November 2017, it's 31.2% per annum. Yeah. You know, so I'm really happy with that. But the, but there's, it's a story, those those returns are not a story of ever being 31% per annum. It was, it was actually nothing for a long <laughs> while. And then there was this huge rally up and then it was nothing yeah, and yeah, then it pulled yeah, back. Yeah. And just, it's sort of, that's why the 10% is dangerous because it's usually a story of up 30%. Down fifteen percent, mm. mm. you know, right. back backward and forward, <laughs> yeah, and right. people are going, oh well, you know, I thought I could expect ten percent per year. Well, you can yeah, on average. True. You that's just, true. it's just, it's actually, I haven't looked at this for a while, but I'm, I'm sure it's mm. still true. The number of years that the market actually went up ten percent, <laughs> give, give or take a percent or so, you can, yeah. you can count on one hand. It's sort of like yeah, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't generally do that. It's just that that's what the average kind of is. Yeah. So you, you know, yeah. I, <clears throat> Yeah, <laughs> you've, 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 you've got to you've got to see the forest for the trees. You've, you've got to yeah. stand back stand back a bit. You do, you do. Your your thoughts on the on the volatility, mate? How how has it been for you personally? Yeah, it's um, uh, well, it's not fun. Um, at the same time, I'm trying to look at this uh, as as an opportunity. I think one of the frustrating things with 2020, 2021, um mm. some sort of post post the, the COVID, the worst of the COVID falls, Durable. Yeah, was there's there's a lot, well, it's 2,000 companies on the ASX and there's <laughs> a lot of them are rubbish, but there's some really great ones in there that I would love to own that I just I just didn't. And the mm. reason I didn't was because I just felt as though it was, it was too uh, uh, pricey. Mm. And so, and, and things, and then you kind of, you, you make that decision and then they just get pricier and pricier and pricier. <laughs> so I'm like, oh man, I was, I was so clearly wrong. But yeah. this, what this yeah. volatility recently makes me think of is actually, mm. Mm. I, I think I, I think I did do the right thing because the ones that have been really hard hit in this market pullback have generally mm. been growth slash uh, technology slash small cap. And, and the falls have been absolutely brutal. And in a lot of instances, again, the companies aren't really doing anything wrong. It's just that things got super, 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 super silly. So mm. to, for, for me, I think a lot of the, the pullback that we're seeing is ab- absolutely mm. healthy mm. and normal and correct. And in fact, it's not as though things are, things look cheap relative mm. to a recent high for some for some stocks, mm. but I'd actually say they're probably just coming back to what's more reasonable in the first place. Mm. And and so to answer your question, what how am I thinking of this volatility? Well, A, it sort of sucks in terms of what I've already held because things sort of ran up really high and, and uh, you know, it was, it was nice. But it's also now putting a lot of things back on the table that were out of reach for a long, long, long time. Yeah. And, and what what i have to overcome is is that <laughs> we said this before as well to to each other is that you kind of how you act in a correction is never how you think you're going to act. Yes. So it's sort of like I, I said a year ago, oh, if ever this thing got down 30%, I would back up the truck. And then it does and you go, oh, well, maybe it'll go a little bit further. And you, all these crazy mind games start to come into it. 
but I'm yeah. So again, I'm trying. I'm trying to look at this this as a as a period of opportunity, not to call a bottom, not to say things couldn't get worse. I think a lot of things, despite the pullback, are actually quite expensive in some spaces. But it is it is getting more and more interesting, and that's that I'm, I'm more interested in what happens from here rather than what has ha- happened to have happened over the last three or six months. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. It's um and and yeah, again, I just, I just wanted to you know separate or not separate, combine actually the the. the personal experience with the advice because putting those two together hopefully makes it more real more, more interesting more useful for our listeners um and also as i said it, it breaks down that whole it's okay for you guys you can say that but i i'm this person or i've done that or you know you're not you're not speaking my language i just wanted to, i just wanted to share that you know we've we felt that same pain uh we are absolutely in the same the same boat and, and the solution for all of us expert uh professional and amateur alike is just to say hey we get it. We all feel the same. Just make sure you do the right things. These are the right things. Do them even though it hurts. Don't wait for it to stop hurting before you do them because that's we, we don't have that luxury. You don't have that luxury. We're exactly the same in that sense. We're all human. Um, you know, we, we don't wait for the pain to stop and then go and do something. We say, it's painful, but I know I have to do this because I've been through it. I've, I've learned about it. I've experienced it. I know it's the right thing to do. Well, you mentioned Berkshire before as well. So I remember a year or so ago, the usual headlines mm. are out because Buffett had been underperforming and Berkshire shares uh-huh. had been underperforming for a long time. Yeah. So usually after a period of that, you know, you start seeing the headlines, has Buffett lost it? Is he past it? Et cetera, et cetera. But actually what's happened since this big technology sell-off, he's actually massively outperformed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he probably sees that as significant as the underperformance. Are you yeah, not very that's right. That's right. not very at all kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's exactly what it, what it, what it's about. Is it's just that you, quality always outs over the long term, and it's just it's it, don't distract yourself with all of these other these other short term movements because if you mm. keep doing mm. those right things and just coming back to basics, good companies at good prices help for the long term. So simple, mm. you know, mm. It, it, mm. easy but not simple. <laughs> um, mm. it, it, easy to understand in, in concept, simple in terms of the emotional difficulty of, of in, in the the emotional fortitude required to do that. Yeah, but. But it, but that's it. That's it. We're repeating ourselves again and again so far on this podcast, but we keep sort of ending up on that do. point because it's, 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 it's the right point to make. Mate, let's go then to something different because this is a new-ish topic. Uh, we're in the middle of earnings season. I hope, by the way, you enjoyed our special bonus episode yesterday. A bit of an unsurprised, a bit of a surprise, but an unannounced one. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, where we kind of spend a bit more time on earnings, but I wanted to talk about earnings specifically this time. Uh, we may or may not have touched on it yesterday. The uh, two two big companies. But both start with A, as it turns out. Right at the beginning of earnings season, they are Ansel and Amcor. Now, they're not companies I own. I don't spend a lot of time on them. I don't particularly like either of them um, investment-wise. But what was fascinating, mate, was the role of inflation. And we've talked about inflation when it comes to interest rates before and talked about the macro stuff. But Ansel and Amcor had two really different experiences with inflation, and I think they're super instructive. So I want to talk about investing in the age of inflation a little bit. Now, we don't know how bad it's going to be, how long it's going to be. But I want to set up our, our listeners, mate, with, with some... Some, some mental models, some frameworks to think about this. So let's take Ansel first. Ansel came out um, a week or so ago and said, look, we had some issues. Now, there were a lot of issues. It was a bit of a kitchen sink earnings announcement. One of their suppliers had been banned from importing products into America. Um, they'd had some factory shutdowns because of COVID cases, lots of other things. One thing they mentioned was they simply couldn't pass on price increases fast enough to cover the cost of Product inflation, in this case, cost inflation, right? So they're not the not the inflation of the products they're selling, but inflation on the costs that they were incurring to make those products. And when you end up in a situation like that, that's one thing as an investor you need to just be mindful. Will can will happen in future, and maybe it's Ansel, maybe it's others, but they got caught. They simply didn't have sufficient pricing power or didn't activate that pricing power, and we'll see which one of those is true over time quickly enough to cover those rising costs. Now. Is inflation here? Absolutely, from the look of it. I don't think it's hard to tell. And the Amcor story is even worse, by the way. Um, But I just thought it was interesting, mate, because we have for such a long time, for most of my investing career, most of your investing career, inflation has been largely dead. It's kind of been a non-issue. You and I learned about it at uni and high school. We read about it in the books. They tried to kill off inflation. Uh, They thought they had. I've said before, when someone tells you something's dead, that's the time you should go, okay, it's coming back. Uh, You know, inflation's dead. No, it's probably not. The end of history. No, it's probably not. Uh, So inflation was supposedly dead. Reserve banks had supposedly declared victory over inflation. I should Google some of those headlines because they're around. Um, And then we find Ansel can't cover their costs. I also want to go then to Amcor, mate, and we'll come back to, to both of them together. But this is the other side of the inflation story. And this is 
on one hand, a success, they managed to increase prices to cover their cost inflation. So that's good. They did exactly what they could and should have done. What's remarkable, their cost inflation was 10%, right? 10%, just mm. keep that in your mind. Mm. At the same time, their sales growth was about 12%, which is also really good, except 11% of that was actually inflation or price increases to cover their increasing costs. Mm. Now, I know I'm doing lots of numbers here, mm. but what you've got is a business who you, I would normally say in normal times, you would have said, Andrew, everyone would say, 11% growth, that's fantastic. Well done, guys. Sales growth through the roof. This is a business that's doing really, really well. Um, getting more customers or selling them more staff or maybe getting some price increases through, which in this case is true. But we see those as, as net positives, right? Mm. In Amcor's case, it was like, yeah, we put prices up so we could cover our costs. Mm-hmm. And all of that, so all of those numbers, when you break them back, you've got to take out most of that most of that sales growth because it's just, it's just covering costs, which again, is better than not covering them. But think about the health of a business, a fast-growing business that was growing at 11% in revenue would be great. But if you're really growing volume at, what, 1% or 2% and the rest of your price price growth, your revenue growth is just covering costs, Mm. then the real underlying growth of that business is pretty much that volume growth of bugger all, if you Mm. can excuse the uh, characterization. Uh, And again, it's just a really interesting, again, great they've got pricing power, great they could pass it on. But there's no real value created there. They just managed not to go backwards. And when you're thinking about growth in revenue or sales for a business, we're going to have to, I think, from now and as we go to earnings season in the future, really allow for that when it comes to how much do they grow by? Okay, but how much do they really grow by? What does that really look like? Yeah, what's what's the real growth in cash flows or more specifically yeah, free yeah. cash flows, cash right. flow after expenses have been paid for and all necessary investments have been made for the future. That, yep. that's, that's absolutely what matters. I mean, look, I, I think with, with Amcor's case, it's it's actually a wonderful thing that they were able to do that. There's mm. there's lots of other companies that, that can't do that mm. and they're the ones. So I, it, I know it's always a check, a big part of the checklist for me is to sort of understand how much pricing power a business has yeah, because yeah. it can't control its costs. Uh, most businesses can't control its costs too much. And that's that's just the, the brutal reality of, of having mm-hmm. a business. Mm-hmm. But it's a different story if you're a complete commodity player who's just got no opportunity in terms of pricing power. You sell what you sell, whatever the market price is. Mm-hmm. That just means that these margins swing around based on your cost base and, and, and you know, and then it's just a volume game sort of from there. Mm-hmm. Companies that can pass on the cost, yes, you're right. It's still like they've, they've grown, but they've sort of <laughs> stayed in the same space. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. still think that's a win, you know, in the, in the sense because the alternative yeah. is that they couldn't and that earnings just come crashing down. There's lots of examples of that, of that happening yeah. as well. So, um yeah, pricing power matters. Pricing power matters a lot. But I think that's different again, though, from a company that can expand its margins with that pricing power. That's, I guess that's what I want to highlight is if if you told me, and I, so here's the thing, really honestly, if I'd have seen the numbers without anything, any context, and someone said, hey, Amazon, Amazon, Amcor is growing sales at 11% per year, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. That's, that's really good. Obviously, they're doing something right. And the thing they're doing right is just managing to cover their increasing costs, which, as you said, is much better than Ansel that couldn't do it. But it's very different to if they'd grown sales 11% two years ago, we would have rightly assumed, wow, that's amazing. They're obviously selling more stuff to more people because mm. pricing would have been roughly flat. And again, you're right to say you want pricing power because if you want to, you know, if we'd known the future a month ago, we should have chosen Amcor rather than Ansel for exactly that reason as you highlight. But neither has done a particularly great job of actually growing sales or profits in the sense that they're not adding economic value. They're just avoiding the loss of economic value by that inflation, right? I think that's, yeah. that's just the point I want to make. If you, if you have three categories, there's, Business with no pricing power can't pass on inflation, goes backwards. Business with pricing power or some pricing power that manages to pass on those costs and stand still. And there's the business that can pass on costs with pricing power and either grow even more, so put up your price even further or still get volume growth at the same time. And I guess I want to highlight that I would absolutely, you absolutely want pricing power, mate. The first group is terrible. You're one of the last two groups. But I also want to make sure when I do my analysis for earnings season that I think about volume growth, not just revenue growth, because this is the first one we've really had to consciously separate those two items because of that inflation component. Yeah, yeah. And it, look, it's it's part of a big part of the reason why I've got such a, a love affair with um, mm. technology stocks, frankly. Because generally speaking, a lot of these software companies, SaaS companies, I mean, their costs are people. So, and we know that wage price inflation hasn't been a thing so much, but that that yeah. that could come. But in terms yeah. of you know your your rack space at AWS or you know. Yeah, uh, server costs, these kinds of things. Yeah. They're so small. You, you, you really, 
it, it's not as much as someone who's a, a heavy manufacturer. It's dependent on a whole bunch of raw inputs and, and these other kinds mm-hmm. of things. It just, it's, you're right that we, as the market should be looking at sales growth and earnings and all the rest of it. But I think you've also got to look at the character of that, of those sales. You know, what is, what is that made up of? What are the key drivers there? What can change that? What are margins like? What is likely to maintain all of this kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. So the, 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 these, it, it's, it's always the first thing I check, you know, particularly yeah. if it's a company you haven't heard of before. So I'll, I'll go and open up a you know, Comsec and look at the earnings chart and see how it's gone. You want to see that bottom left to top right. Yeah. And obviously that's, that's, that's kind of a prerequisite, but, but you, want to, you want to actually understand the reason for that. Was that due to pricing power? Were you selling just more of stuff, perhaps at a, at a, at a lower margin? You know, what, what, what was, the, what was the, all the inputs that sort of led to that? You don't have to get super advanced at this. So they're, 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 they're just sensible, basic kind of questions, but then taken seriously and then explored. You'll get, you'll get a much deeper sense of, of, as I say, the character of that earnings growth. So yes, earnings growth, sales growth, great, but you also want very favorable very favorable uh, um, unit economics and business structure, capital structure, all of these kinds of things that that give you some confidence that the rug's not going to be pulled for, for, for factors that are beyond management's control. No, by the way, no business is perfect. I'm not going to point you an example of a, here's a company that's going to have mm-hmm. zero risks in terms of its cost base, et cetera, and perfect pricing power. But there's definitely a spectrum and you can sort of start at one end where you've got an absolutely, you know, awful high capex, heavy investment, um, capital heavy commodity player that just has mm, to sell whatever mm. the market price is for coal or wheat or cattle or whatever it is. <laughs> and then you've got Apple, which can just, you know, name its price for an iPhone, you know, an incredible mm. pricing power and all the rest of it. There's, there's both, both can experience periods of rapid growth, but one is far more attractive. Yes, exactly. I like it. I like it a lot. Mate, um, I reckon that pretty much sees us out. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you also enjoyed yesterday's episode because it was a bit of fun. Um, before we do, Matt, I want to just touch on one quick observation and get you to make some thoughts and we'll, we'll probably call it quits. I do, I'm, a, I'm an Alphabet shareholder. Alphabet owns Google. Um, so full disclosure up front. And I'm not doing victory laps. The share price did go up after the announcement, but it's not really about that necessarily. I just wanted to highlight one thing that investors in I'll say particularly tech companies, but also other businesses need to keep in mind. Google is one of the top three or four most valuable businesses in America and therefore in the world. Probably there might be another couple outside America, maybe Saudi Aramco or something. They're worth a little bit more. It's enormous, ginormous, uh, $2 trillion market cap, give or take. Mate, it managed to grow revenues and profits at more than 30% in the last quarter. Mm. They did $100 billion of revenue and almost $30 billion of profit in a single quarter. And I'm not saying this is not about Google, about Amazon, about about Alphabet necessarily. It is absolutely about, we talk about the law of large numbers, right? That at some point, you know, trees don't grow to the sky, elephants can't dance, choose your thing. And it's kind of true, right? The the banks aren't going to keep growing at stupid rates once they've gobbled up the entire market share. There 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 is growth phases of some businesses when they start to grow into their market opportunity, one they do, growth has to slow unless the market grows, right? So that's just kind of banks or supermarkets. Mate, if you can be a $2 trillion business, if you can bank $100 billion of revenue and $30 billion of profit, that's at a 30% growth rate in a single quarter. During a pandemic. I, well, maybe the pandemic's part of it, by the way, but you're exactly right. I, 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 the, the rhetorical question I ask is, is the law of large numbers dead? But I just thought it was, I don't know if I even have a specific takeaway from this one, um, uh, most Australian companies are smaller anyway. They generally have local and global markets to grow into. And I don't want to, as I said, with banks and supermarkets, I don't want to say to people, hey, don't worry about total market opportunity or don't don't worry about it. Don't assume that these things can grow forever. And Google can't either. Not, neither can any of the you know, Facebooks or Amazons or any of those. Just struck me, mate, that, that it, it's a remarkable growth for what's otherwise a business that should by rights at this point be in care and maintenance, growing at GDP type level. Yeah, um, it, I think one of the lessons for me with examples like that is is that I think when when you see a just an incredible company like Google, mm. and it's been around for yeah, you know, it actually hasn't really been around that long. Let's I know, be honest. Exactly. In, if if you right. actually want to have a bit of context yep. here, it's still a pretty new thing on on the face mm-hmm. of the planet. But at every stage, it's felt as though it's too late. Like, like yeah, everyone knows that it's great. Everyone yeah, knows yeah, that yeah. it's got a lot. Yep, and sort yep. of, so it sort of looked- How much at, growth can really possibly be left? Yeah, it looked expensive at 500 bucks and then 1,000 right, right. and then 2,000. Right. You know, now it's almost 3,000 bucks a share. So it's kind of yeah. like you, 
there's 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 forecasting and there's also now casting as well. You don't you don't necessarily you just because something has gone up five ten x even it, mm-hmm. there actually could be much 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 more upside even with very large companies. And that again it comes back to not just simply drawing a line or getting a ruler out and just extrapolating out out into the future. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think you could have said five years ago. When you know it's only 2017, mm-hmm. goodness thing, it wasn't yeah. that long. The share price is at 800 bucks a share or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But it was sort of like, yeah, okay, everyone's sort of got Google now, but man, they've got a lot of irons in the fire. They've got a yeah. huge amount of pricing power. The internet is still in a very junior stage. It's like, yes, it's big. Yes, it feels late. I'm too late. Yes, it's mm-hmm. grown a lot. But I think I think it's. I would actually say from here, Google still has a, a huge amount of potential to to. to to grow, to grow into the future. So that, that for me has been a, a, a lesson of it's, it's, it often feels too late under those scenarios, but, mm. but at the same time, if, you've, if you really understand the business and its opportunity, it's often not. Look, at, I don't know if anyone's watched YouTube recently, but God, how many ads do they serve up now? <laughs> That's right. You know, they went in the early, I remember in the early days of YouTube, it was hardly any, right? Mm. And it was really great. And now it's sort of, now there's a subscription plan that you can get a, be a part of. Now there's ads thrown in all the time and it's annoying, but you know what? We all still watch YouTube. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's yeah, pricing exactly. power for you. And, and, they can, really they can pull that even harder and, and they've all kinds of other things that they're big investments mm-hmm. that they they could be even mm-hmm. more profitable now if they, mm-hmm. they pulled back all the work they're doing on AI and quantum computing yeah. and a thousand other things that are just bleeding cash for them at the moment. But any of these things kind of get a bit of traction. It's it's mm-hmm. sort of like I, I wouldn't be surprised in 2040 we look back and go, oh, man, <laughs> yeah, I could have bought Google right. at $3,000 a share. Like it's, it's yeah, insane. Yeah. So now, exactly. yeah, that's you've right. just you, you've you've always uh, yeah that that that's that's my take home is that it's not it'll often feel too late, but it's not always the case. Nice, mate. That's a great way to finish. We will see you on Sunday. Before we go, uh, you can make sure because mailbag episode Sunday. If you want to ask us a question, email us info at fool.com.au. Our wonderful member services, Fools, will make sure we get that question from you. You can leave us a comment as well if you want to. You can also follow us on the socials, and I really hope you do. You can follow Andrew at Sage underscore Simeon on Twitter, only on Twitter, exclusively on Twitter. <laughs> That's a, their biggest tagline in their um, marketing materials. Uh, or you can follow Strawman at Strawman Invest. You can follow me on Twitter or Insta at TMF Scott P. Uh, I'm on Facebook at Scott Phillips Money and the Motley Fool accounts on Twitter and Insta at the Motley Fool AU or the Motley Fool Australia on Facebook. Until Sunday, have a good couple of days. Fool on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691. Listener.